Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to B2B Made Simple, a marketing podcast for marketers in the SaaS world looking to learn from their peers and get better at what they do and hone in their craft. Today with me, my special guest is Amy Moore, the VP of Marketing at Trace. Amy, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm honored that you would join us on the podcast. Um, But before we kick it off, I always like to ask a fun question. Um, So if you had to choose between a vacation in the mountains on a lake somewhere and a vacation at the beach, more of a tropical feel, which would be your preference? Mm, Tough choice. Well, since it's kind of starting to be fall, the mountains sound really awesome right now. Just being in a cozy cabin, (laughs) surrounded by trees. That does sound pretty good, actually, yeah. now that you say that. Get yeah. some apple cider, some some uh, soup on the stove. Mm, that does sound yep. good. <laughs> yep. Well, awesome. Um, we have an agenda today that we're going to kind of walk through. It's basically the framework you should follow for every marketing campaign. And you have some points that we've kind of discussed on a previous call that you think would be um, helpful to other marketers. So to kick this off, um, why should we start with the customer and the story? Um, before every marketing campaign? Why is that the foundation that we need? So uh, my answer to that is that you shouldn't. You shouldn't start with the customer. Mm -hmm. You should start with the audience. And there's a slight difference. Most of the time they're the same. Mm -hmm. But the reason that you want to start with the audience is that uh, for any story that you tell, your audience is the muse. Mm -hmm. And so you need to get in the mindset of what, what your message that you're delivering via this campaign is going to do for your audience. And in order to get into that mindset, I've got a framework that I, that I go through and Mm -hmm. would you like me to share that? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, so um, you want to think about who are you talking to? So who is your audience? And then you've already thought about in some ways, you've probably already thought about what your single key message is, but Mm -hmm. first think about how does your audience feel right now? Uh, before receiving your message? And then how do you want them to feel after having received your message? And then hone that message so that you're getting them from point A to point B. And then you can fill in your supporting points. And and also the other part is like, not just who is your audience, but why are you talking to them? So that's your objective. And, um, you know, just thinking back to the audience, it's almost more important to a good story to think about your audience. If you think about storytelling or marketing, really, it's about communication between two people, really. It's, a, it's an intimate piece of, of communication between you and your reader at any point in time or your audience. And whether you're writing a book or writing a marketing campaign, you need to think about what you want to convey, how you want to make that connection. So a story has a hero at, at the center of it. And the hero might be the same as your audience, but it's but it's not. It's, it's, it's a version of your audience going through a problem and a solution in the course of time. But your audience is 
who you're telling that story to and why you're telling that story to them. So always think about your audience and mm -hmm. it, it's, and it should, if you do it right, it should be inspirational when you really connect with your audience and have that empathy for them. It, it makes it a lot easier to figure out what it is you want to say and what parable that you want to give them in the form of a story. So you mentioned you want to know, you need to identify what they feel like after words. And then you said you want to identify what they feel like currently as well. Is that what you yeah. mentioned there in the beginning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do they feel like now? Hmm. And what, what do they, what do you want to help them feel? The outcome. And then yeah. that's the foundation for your marketing campaign, right? That's what you start with. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say it's, it's necessarily a foundation for a campaign, um, mm -hmm. it, it, but most, but you know, I guess I'll hedge a little there. Most of the time it is. Um, yeah, I'm having a hard time thinking of any exceptions, but I just, it's a framework that I learned um, when I was starting out in, in copywriting. And it's a framework for figuring out what your ad concept is or what your central insight is for, for, for um, more of a creative concept. But I find that it really helps with any kind of campaign as well, because it does get that audience focused and that mm -hmm. it, it, it helps you really think of your audience and why you're talking to them um, to begin with. So, mm -hmm. um, so just like you need to do this when you're thinking about a, a concept for an advertisement, you also need to think about this at the beginning of a campaign and even think about it, you know, when you're running a webinar or an event or putting on a conference, you know, what is, who is your audience or audiences? Mm -hmm. How do they feel? How do you want them to feel after? And what's your single key message that you want them to take home with you? Mm -hmm. So it works in a lot of scenarios. It's not the only framework that you need to start a marketing campaign, but I think it's an important one. And then I just, I think, you know, some people might be thinking, well, do I have to do that if I'm running like a, you know, a camp, a, a Facebook ad campaign, you know, maybe, maybe not with like tactical type campaigns, but with most campaigns, but it might help strategic might help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so who am I talking to? You mentioned that it can be the customer. Um, and the more I think about it, this is obviously we're, we're talking our ideal buyers should be the audience, right? That should be the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we exactly. have so most of, so your audience is so when I said that your audience and your customer are different, mm -hmm. I think that um, they they sometimes can be different. I think it's important to think of them as an audience first and foremost, and then think of the customer as the hero of your story. But the mm -hmm. audience is the reader and the recipient of your story. So yeah, so the framework is who are you talking to and why? Mm -hmm. How do they feel? How do you want them to feel? What is your single-minded key message to get them from feeling? A to feeling B, and then what are your supporting points for that message? Um, so who are who are we talking to? How do they feel, and how do you want them to feel? Are pretty you know pretty straightforward. Um, mm -hmm. I want to dive into step four here. What is your single key message? Um, mm -hmm. Can you give us some examples of what that would look like, or what? How do we approach that? What would be a, a you know that single key message? Mm. So a lot of times. Um, the, the, how does your customer feel is an I statement. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you put yourself in the shoes of how your, your audience, not your customer, how your audience feels. I feel um, like I don't have time to go to this webinar. And then mm -hmm. you want them to feel this will give me more time back. So I will get, I, that, I will attend this webinar and it will give me more time back. And so your single key message is going to be more you focused. So the two feeling statements are, are you put yourselves in the shoes of your audience and their I statements. And then the middle one is how you, it, it's a single statement of, of the, the offering that you have 
to get them from from point feeling point A to feeling point B. So it might be something like an example I gave of you know if you're selling a webinar, it might be um, uh, Sam Moss's webinars uh, always provide three points of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. That's it. Um, so what would be? You said there was one more thing. It was your supporting points, right, to go mm-hmm. along yeah. with that key message. Yeah. What is that? Are they, so is that like data? Like for example, a case study backing up the narrative, what does that look like? I, I mean, in this framework, it should fit on one page. So no, mm-hmm. it's not, you're not going to get into everything. That's what like page two, three, and four of your brief are. This is like, mm-hmm. you know, so if you're saying that Sam's webinars will save you time mm-hmm. um, as your single key message, then the supporting points are, why should I believe that? Why should I believe that Sam's webinars save me time? Hmm. Hmm. And so what would it be... would be, so it could be, it could be credibility. It could be a credibility statement, like, because oh, nine out of 10 of his webinar attendees say they save time because of his tips. Um, the second mm-hmm. one could be because the webinar, because his webinars only take 20 minutes, the third one. So it's reasons to believe the claim that you made in your single key message. Got it. That's interesting. So we have, who am I talking to, mm-hmm. which is your audience. A lot of times your ideal buyers, sometimes it can be your customer. Um, how do they feel currently? Mm-hmm. How do you want them to feel at the end? And again, this is all going on almost like a, a wireframe of a marketing campaign, just to give you an idea in that foundation. Um, how do you want them to feel? What is your single key message? And then what are your supporting points? Right. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much yep. what we have. Yep. Yeah. Got it. That's it. Um, you know, so something that was really, really interesting. We had a, a prep call um, for those listening to this before. And we just kind of like brainstormed some stuff. And one of the things that you said, Amy, really, really resonated with me. Um, and this is kind of shifting gears a little bit, but it's that your content should apply to your buyers both before and after your, pro- your, your product solves their problem. Um, so for example, that would look like if we if we were teaching people how to make a better website or develop a website, that can be very helpful to our ideal buyers, right? But after they buy from us, we are our content is pretty irrelevant because they solved the issue. But what you're saying is your content needs to go with your buyer and further their learnings or educate them long after you've already solved their problem, which I think is genius. I think that's super interesting how you laid that out. Why is that so important? Because I'm a fan of it, but explain why. <laughs> well, you asked me, why do you need, so, so the statement was your content needs to apply to your buyers or your ideal customer um, before your product begins and after your mm-hmm. product ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you replace the word content with just the word connection, think about mm-hmm. it. You, do you want your connection with your customer or your audience to only last for the duration of, of, of having something relevant to talk about related to your product? Or do you want it to be a long lasting connection and a long lasting relationship? So you have to find something you have to find a business need or a professional need or even a human need that you are solving with your product that goes beyond your product. Um, and so that you, and once you tap into what that, what that essential need is that you're speaking to, then you have a conversation that you can have over time that, that will never end theoretically. So um your product, so, so one kind of litmus test is that if your message or your content um, would not be relevant 
to like, let's say you had a customer that had absolutely like bought everything you had to sell. There's no more upselling to them. There's no more adoption that you can, that you can create. They've got it all. You've given them all that you have. And if you didn't start the conversation talking about their basic needs, then that's, then, then you won't have anything else to talk about after your product has solved those needs. So let me give you an example. I feel like I'm being kind of abstract. So, um, uh, give me something to sell. Uh, like you, you talk about like selling website services. Should we do that mm -hmm. one? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, um, you, you might choose the need of helping people grow their businesses mm -hmm. and that's a long lasting need that you can address with a lot of different conversation points. So that need will be there after your product has done everything your product can do. They will still need to grow their business. Um, maybe you could make it a little bit more specific. They will still need to grow their business by being smart about their digital assets or by showcasing their brand digitally in the right way. So that's a mm -hmm. conversation you can have before your product begins and after your product ends and it will create a long lasting relationship with your customers. Mm -hmm. So in it, so what's funny is we were already doing uh, this, but I, I was never able to articulate because this show is our connector for our buyers, right? So we sell, yeah. we do like B2B website development, right? And yeah. I could talk about websites, which I have explored doing that in the past and it's helpful for people, but yeah. by providing a show where we bring on people like you to talk and further the knowledge of our ideal customer, it's only going to help them win long after they buy from us, if they ever do, right? So yep. what is funny is we were on track with this and it, it's just fun to have people on a podcast like you who can articulate yeah. things that we were already kind of doing or thinking. And yeah. it's absolutely genius. Um, yeah, I'm... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I guess is all I could really <laughs> say about it. But um, so would you, this is a question that I've kind of had for a while. You said that your product should relate to the content in some way. Um, do you think that that is true 100% of the time when it comes to the content that you're providing? For example, we're providing marketing content um, for our listeners, but that doesn't actually tie to our product. And I see other companies doing it and it's their connector and it's building an affinity toward their brand, even though they're not necessarily talking about the service or the product they offer. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's also a route that companies can go when it comes to content and building that connection? I'm not sure. I, so I'm not sure I'm following, but mm -hmm. I, I'll say that if you go back to the business needs based content strategy or the, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to say business, business needs are professional needs of your buyer as long as there's, that's their common denominator. So there's a portion of the conversation is how your specific product meets that specific need. And that's a portion of your content strategy. It, mm -hmm. it has to be. So yes, it's absolutely okay and, and important to have, to talk about your product as it relates to that, uh, to those elementary needs that you're solving for. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure that I really got the gist of your question though. Let me, let me see if I can reframe it. So let's say that there is a software company and they sell accounting software to accountants or bookkeeper keepers, right? Um, they could teach you with their content, right? To get people through the door and build affinity toward their brand, accounting um, tips, mm -hmm. which ties into what they're doing in a way it ties into their product. But what I'm saying is almost attract them in another way with different content, uh, leadership content for accountants, 
-hmm. even though that Mm -hmm. doesn't tie into their product, it's for their ideal buyer. So I was wondering, is that like another acceptable avenue to go? Yeah, It doesn't directly tie? Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so I'm a big follower of Robert Rose and he talks about three kind of goals of content strategy. One is to acquire customers. Mm -hmm. The other one is to win. And the third one is to grow not grow your business, but grow your customer. Hmm. And if you, and if you're an accounting software company and you're providing leadership content for your customers, you're helping them grow in their professional career, which essentially makes them better candidates for your product. Mm -hmm. You want, I mean, especially if you're changing a category or doing something new with, you know, with your accounting software, you, you want your customers to be at the top of their game. And those are the kinds of customers you want. So there's a direct correlation between your, Mm -hmm. like um, how to be a better accounting leader content and the accounting software that you provide. So your yeah. so the example that Robert Rose gives is Dreamforce um, as being an, a, a content strategy centered around the goal of growing your customers, helping them grow as as professionals in their career. What were those three? It was acquire, and then the last acquire, one was acquire, win, and grow. Win. Yeah, and I highly recommend just grow. look up Google Robert Rose. Um, content marketing pillars, or I'll try to send you a link after the show, but um, it's really brilliant. So if you, if you don't mind, can we jump into each one of those? Are you pretty familiar with them? Yeah, I'm pretty familiar. Yeah. So the easiest is to give examples and and I'm just, you know, all credit to Robert Rose here. So, um, so his point is that you got to pick one, which nobody Mm -hmm. ever does, but you got to pick one. So what, so so when you have a content strategy program, what is it that you want to achieve? Do you want to acquire, um, acquire audience and, the, and he's a big on audience too. So do you want to acquire audience mm-hmm. or do you want to convert people to, do you want to generate demand? So that's the win mm-hmm. pillar. And then the last one is to grow your customers to help them become better customers. So the acquire tier, the example that he gives is babycenter.com. The brand behind babycenter.com is Johnson and Johnson, but their brand is really secondary to that content property. But what Johnson and Johnson is doing with babysitter.com, babycenter.com is they're collecting data about their audience and they're and they're they're attracting a huge audience. They can advertise. So it's an owned media property that that, that you know you can find a Johnson Johnson ad on babycenter.com, but that's not the point. The point is to grow the audience there. Hmm. Um, to to acquire a, a a, a high number of engaged people who care mm-hmm. about the topics that you're writing about. And it's completely non-branded. It's completely non-product oriented, mm-hmm. but it's topic oriented. And it also has the added benefit um, of giving you insight into what your, your audience cares about, which can go back to product innovation, but that's not the point. The point is to acquire an audience. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, a portion of that audience will jump over to, to your win pillar um, but again, that's not the point. The point is to collect data and insight on an audience and to have an audience that, that cares about the topics that you're writing about. But, but at some point, you'll, they'll jump over to the win category. And that's where you're specifically trying to get them to convert, to, to um, engage with a, uh, with a piece of content that indicates that they're in market or close to being in market for the solution that you provide or the problem that you solve. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to give an example of that one. Um, Maybe like case studies, um, something like that. It would, well, yeah, that would be that would be a piece of content like that. But also, with in in the framework that Robert Rose is laying out, he's also talking about content properties, like actual hmm. 
content hubs and the purpose of these, con- like f- full-fledged content programs, not just pieces of content, but full-fledged mm-hmm. content programs. And I think the example that he had was like, um, God, I want to say it was like Jerry Seinfeld, like coffee with comedians in cars or something like that, which actually had, was sponsored by brands. It was sponsored by Audi. Um, I mean, feel free to go Google this afterward. Don't and, take a <laughs> I don't have the, the details, but that was more that that wasn't just where the brand was more at the forefront. And by picking your pillar, by the way, what he says is that that tells you where to put your brand, whether your mm. you know, whether your brand is whether your content is going to be highly branded or whether your brand is taking more of a back, back seat. Um, and then the last one is um, grow, which means helping your customers grow into better customers, meaning mm-hmm. Okay, this one is like always difficult to explain, but I really love it. Because uh, the word grow means a lot of different things. You know, in, in business, it means growing your business and growing your customers. I, I think to some people's ears, that means upselling them or exp- land and expand. But in this context, grow is helping your customers grow to be better in their career. And if you're working for an exciting software company, like that's always what I try to do is only work for exciting software companies in the B2B space. You want to be working for the kind of company that's actually changing the game. So you want Mm -hmm. your customers to be, um, to become better versions of themselves, better professional versions of themselves, because that's, you're you're selling them a new reality. You're not selling them legacy software. That's going to help them just kind of do the same thing. So you want your customers to be as, as great as they can be. Mm -hmm. I think so. um, So Dreamforce is a great example of that, where it's become this epic event that is partially about about Salesforce products, but a lot of it you can get education there, you can get credits, you can take classes. I would think that a podcast probably falls into the grow category more than. I mean, obviously, topic depending. It does. Um, I would say your podcast. I mean, it it doesn't sound intuitive because you think. It's, it's easy to think acquire is in the awareness and then the middle of the funnel is, is win and then at the bottom of the funnel is, is grow. But think of it this way, your podcast, um, Sam, is, is helping people become better marketers mm-hmm. and the better marketers and, and the better you ha- marketers people become, the more apt they are to want your unique solution mm-hmm. and to get more out of it. And they also, and there's also the, the, the halo effect of associating you with having helped. Right. Um, you know, something I want to add here, and I think this would kind of apply to the acquire stage, but primarily the grow is it is not a self-promotional type content area. So if, if you are pushing out a campaign for, in the grow category, right, this is not about you. This is strictly how will you make your audience better at what they're doing? And that's it. Will they find out what you do? Probably. No, but so, like, so I would say you can actually, you can in the grow because really? you, yeah, because it, it's both and it's both. And so again, mm-hmm. think of Dreamforce. You can go to Dreamforce and take Salesforce classes at Dreamforce. Sure. Okay. It can help you become a better Salesforce user. And it also can help you be- become a better salesperson. Got it. Yeah. I see where you're coming from for sure. Um, yeah. Can you go back to acquire? Uh, and again, if this isn't something you're super familiar with, that's fine. Uh, I'm just curious, would, so this is like a very surface level type audience that you're building, right? Um, when it comes to acquire. So it's anyone and everyone to an extent, hopefully your ideal audience. Um, and it's very surface level content that they're attracted to. So it could be 
uh, entertaining per se, like a, a massive meme account for like marketers? Is that what that would be an example of? Very um, vague. No, it but... doesn't, it's not. It's not constrained by the level, by the surface level of the content. It's mm -hmm. it's um it's constrained by the objective mm -hmm. of the the objective is to to an, acquire an audience of interested and engaged people it, it's not necessarily to entertain although often mm -hmm. it is entertaining um it's still it's still you know a place to educate inspire and entertain an, an audience but it's very unbranded because the purpose is not to um generate familiarity with your brand it's mm -hmm. it's to um it, it's to to own an audience mm -hmm. that you can okay. then reach out to got it Okay. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't say so. Uh, so if you want, if you had that as your strategy, if you had acquire as your strategy, you might say memes would be great for this, you know. But it's not like it's not it's not the only thing that you do mm -hmm. in acquire. It would be a separate entity that is an audience of it of its own. And a, an example could be a, a LinkedIn page per se that you build separate from your brand. Yes, yeah. people will notice that it's connected to your brand if they really dig. But it yeah. is, if they go to the page, they're not going to think, oh, this is amymoreincorporated.com. You know what I mean? Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. And whatever you have to do to attract them to that page, that would be the acquire. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that's super interesting. So we have acquire, win, and then grow. And mm -hmm. I have, I mean, I've seen companies do all of these. So definitely acquire. Um, grow, I think would probably be one of the more popular ones. And then win would be more of your nitty gritty demand gen type content that you're looking to, to create business. Now. Yeah. It has, it has, it has a conversion mm -hmm. embedded in that strategy, strategy, Got it. purpose of conversion. I like that. Um, so on our last talk, you had brought up, uh, you know, the brick and feather analogy. I thought it was really interesting. Um, can Again, you, not mine, <laughs> not your, it's okay. We, not mine. <laughs> we will it's, still uh, talk about it. Credit to Jay Bear, and I just encourage people to Google this stuff because Jay and Robert are way better at describing um, all this than I am, and I probably completely bastardized it. But um, so bricks and feathers, um, yeah, I learned that from Jay Bear at Content Marketing World one year, and it's it's kind of like in a way, it's kind of what we're all familiar with as content marketers, which is you you have a big piece of content and then you you know you spin it off into smaller pieces, but what I like about the way he explains it, it's, it's slightly different. So um, it so a brick is a high production value um, piece of content that represents a big idea. And what he emphasizes over and over again is that marketers love to have a ton of big ideas. You should not be creating a ton of big ideas. There should be one or two to run your marketing for a whole entire year. And each of those is, is the idea is the brick. So for example, this web, this, podcast that you do is a brick even though it's got multiple episodes the series mm -hmm. itself is a brick it's your one big idea and then and, and it, by definition you should put the production value into it you should put the time into it the criteria that jay gives is that it should be the kind of thing that people want to share with other people or they mm -hmm. they print it out and keep it on their desk they share it they they tune into it um it is irresistible and then the feathers are lighter weight pieces that you can do that in multiple. So feathers are lower production value, easier and cheaper to produce, um, can be more frequent at producing them. And yes, they can be spinoffs of the brick, but they also can be 
not necessarily spin-offs of, of the brick, but they can be feeders into the brick. They can be digital feeders into the brick. They can they can reiterate certain themes that that uh, support the, the theme that's in your brick, but they don't necessarily need to be spin-offs. So no. the main point of the bricks and feathers is to stop creating a ton of crap content or to stop get off the hamster wheel of like, we've got to have five, you know, hugely <laughs> great assets this year and we're a team of one or we're a team of mm-hmm. or a content team of one or two and there's this constant pressure to create like these mediocre bricks or these like wannabe bricks um mm-hmm. instead just pick one but make it really really good and make that your your magnet that everything leads to mm-hmm. and i think a lot of companies marketing teams in particular are so pressured into doing things and i've this is something i say a lot it's just you shouldn't be pressured by your peers or what your competition is doing, uh, you shouldn't be pressured by them into a marketing tactic or something that's going on. And it's almost yeah. like the FOMO more than anything, or the are yeah. you have leadership breathing down your neck, trying to say you need to do this. And a lot of times you just need to step back and know what's working and maybe execute a couple of new things every once in a while, but don't be shamed into doing something just because everyone else is doing it because Mm -hmm. it's just going to be subpar. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I wanted to give two companies that do a really good job. I think at having, um, having really, um, central brick assets. One is drift. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sure they have more, but there's, but they've had the same book that they pitch over and over and over again. And I don't, I, personally don't get to, I mean, you really only need one and they, they have mm-hmm. my name and email address. Cause I downloaded, I got their ebook. I think it was like MQLs are dead one. Yeah. Um, so they've got me, you know, everything else can be lo- lighter weight. I know they do more than that, but they're drifting. They have a bigger marketing team. And then six cents. There's a book that, um, that's called no spam, no forms, no cold calls. And it's, it's kind of like their anchor It's their anchor mm-hmm. asset that a lot of different things lead to. So those are two examples. And then yeah, don't be shame. I mean, you know, don't don't be pressured into over creating because it'll end up just coming back to bite you um, in the ass. Like, just you, you you'll end yeah. up not doing anything well. I mean, like I'd rather do one thing really really well than do ten things kind of in a mediocre fashion. And again, yeah. full circle back to the audience: is that really serving your audience? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's recap here. Just give us the who it was that was saying this because these are frameworks so that people can go look it up if they want to. So it's um, the acquire, win and grow. Who was that? And where should we go looking for that? That's Robert Rose. Robert Rose. Okay. And then the uh, brick and feather analogy. Well, who was that again? Jay Bear. Jay Bear. Uh, B-A-E-R, Jay Bear. Okay. Got it. Um, so if you're listening to this, definitely go check those out and dig deeper. I know I'm going to at least dig into the acquire, win, grow one. That was really interesting. Um, for sure. Yeah. I'll have to get you the link. Cause I don't think you'll find it. If you just Google acquire okay. micro, it's, it has to do with a whole kind of like nine point content marketing framework or, or grid mm-hmm. that, that tells you, and you plot your, you know, your objective on this nine point grid and figure out how, you know, what your, um, whether you want to go with earned or, or owned. I mean, there's this whole like system he's got. It's really amazing. Got it. Yeah. Definitely shoot yeah. that over to me. Um, all right, cool. So if you have listened to the podcast before, you might know what's coming. Um, I'm going to hand the mic over to you and give you the opportunity to ask me some questions and kind of mix yes. things up and keep the, the episode fresh here. So awesome. any questions you want to shoot my way? I do. So what's it like working with your dad? Um, 
it's pretty fun. So I, him and I did this, we started right at, I think it was right after I got out of high school and um, have been going ever since. And it's, it can be interesting because we're, we're pretty similar in a way, and then also very different. So he is extremely visionary, um, which means that he wants to do 20 things at once. And I am more cautious and, Hey, let's pick one of those things and execute. So as a leadership team, that is actually very helpful, but it's, I feel like I'm shooting down a lot of his things or he feels like he's coming at me with a lot of ideas and it's just how we're built. And then on top of that, um, as for how we're the same, we are both very driven. So that's cool. But sometimes again, you, you butt heads, but overall, uh, it is, it is very, it's an interesting dynamic, but it is fun. So I'm, I'm, I wouldn't change it. It's fun. And then how many people do you have working, um, at your company? We have a team of 13 developers. Um, okay. So my dad and I oversee everything. And then we have a team below us that heads up the operations. And then I do sales and marketing. And then he is more of the operations and then long, long-term vision side. Got it. And do you have other siblings in the family business? Not in the family business. Um, they all sort of do their own thing. But I do have yeah. uh, two younger brothers and then a younger sister. I don't know if I'd ever, <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever want them in the family business. I think that would add a whole nother dynamic <laughs> yeah. to what's going on. Um, yeah. But what's funny is my brother does video editing and then my other brother does uh, videography, and they do some of our um, podcast stuff. So right now they're working on a a logo drop for a YouTube channel that we're going to launch here soon. So it, I guess they're a little bit yeah. tied in, but not officially on the books. It's like, Hey, we'll pay you to yeah. do a little bit of work on the side. <laughs> and then in terms of your team, how do you think they feel about having a father son team? You know, I think they're okay with it. I, I mean, as yeah. long as the leadership is sound in a company, I think that yeah. the, the team below is going to be okay, but you have to understand where the boundaries are, especially when it comes to what is family dinner like? Is it constantly yeah. work? Is it, do we leave it in the Slack channel? How does that, how does that work? Right? So if you have sound yeah. leadership, then that will filter down through the rest of the organization. I think that that is something that needs to be nailed very, very early. Um, if you're working with family. So that's yeah. how I look at it. And so what are, so why this type of business, why did you guys start this type of business and what is your vision for it? Mm-hmm. Um, so originally we had done, uh, just straight digital marketing. And when it was just him and I, we were doing anything and everything primarily for the small business world. So that would be SEO website design, website development, um, (laughs) logo design. I mean, anything you could think of, and this is pretty well published, but our mantra was, uh, if someone asked, if we did something, we would just say yes and figure out how to do it. Whether we subcontracted it out, whatever it was. Right. And, um, that we quickly learned was not sustainable. And with just the two of us, um, we, we couldn't handle it all. Right. So we decided to hone in toward website design and development for small businesses. And, uh, after a while of doing that, we got much better at it. And it's, it's the thing that we were already pretty good at and it's what we enjoyed. We were just getting distracted and, um, from there, we moved on to solely doing web development for B2B companies and uh, starting to turn away more of the small business work. Um, and we had done some SaaS companies in the past. And it was kind of a mix, but we decided let's focus even more into what we're doing um, and what we're good at into the companies that value marketing 
and let's service them. So that was the mindset behind all that. And uh, long-term, that's what we continue um, to strive for is just website solutions for B2B companies. And we're not going to get distracted like we did in the early days, as much of a great learning experience as that was. Um, if you're listening to this, that just know that like you can't do everything and anything for your customers. And the more honed in that you can get, um, the better off you're going to be. Okay, so I have two more questions for you. Um, what are your favorite brands and why? And then I'll tell you the next favorite brands and why. Okay. Yeah. Um, B2B or B2C? Any. Okay. Uh, I would have to go with, we'll do a couple examples. So we do Wendy's for B2C. I don't really eat their food, but just their social media presence is pretty hilarious. Um, I also oh, yeah, like, I think following, I've seen some of that. Yeah, yeah. The Twitter stuff, um, the clapback stuff like that. Uh, another one would be just professional sports organizations, especially on TikTok. Mm -hmm. It's, it's funny to see what companies are jumping onto and how they interact with their buyers in the most random mm -hmm. ways on videos and things like that. I think that's extremely, um, creative. Like the MLB does a really good job at that. Um, as for B2B, uh, I think Gong is killing it. And I think Drift is killing it um, in a less or in a more professional, like straight to the point kind of way. I would say Refine Labs does a really good job as a brand. Um, mm -hmm. I think those would probably be my top three. So Drift, Gong, Refine Labs. I know Privy does a good job, but I haven't really followed too much of what they do. But um, those are my B2B and B2C examples. Okay. Favorite podcast? or two, uh, state of demand, Jen by Chris Walker. That's okay. my uh, yeah. guilty play. <laughs> you're, a, you're a Chris Walker fan. Yeah. I'm yes. loving his stuff too. So working my way okay. from start to finish on his, on his podcast. Uh, so yeah, I really don't listen to any other podcasts. I'm a, I'm a book reader. And then, uh, when I'm not in a book, I'll listen to the state of demand, Jen, cause they put out great content and there's plenty of it. So, uh, not too much of a need to listen to too much war for me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good job. I don't know if you've ever interviewed someone on a podcast before, but that was uh, really good. Have you, are you, have you done that before? Um, no, I haven't. Well, there you go. That was your first shot at it. Um, yeah. So if you ever want to become a podcast host, now I'm you ready. have something to put on your resume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, That's Amy. Um, okay. To close this out, I would love to hear about what you guys are doing at Trace. Uh, so if you want to give us like the quick rundown, the elevator pitch, okay. if you will. What is it yeah. you guys do? Yeah, I'm not going to give you the scripted elevator pitch because um, it's just not, I mean, it's, the thing is that what Trace is doing is it's solving the problem of how finance works with everybody else in a business. Mm -hmm. So if you think about what it's like today um, it, at, at your typical company in or anytime you need something from finance, you've got to Slack or email them. So Trace is coming in and filling in that gap with a single platform for finance to provide services. We're calling it mm -hmm. a service desk for finance. Um, it's something that did not exist before, but it's a, a single platform for finance to be able to work with business partners on um, spend, approving spend requests, approving headcount requests, providing analytics, um, letting you know how close you are to, to um, uh, meeting your budget or, or going over budget. Um, and it's all in one place. And what that does is it gives your business partners the ability to be empowered or your budget owners to be empowered uh, to make really great financial decisions. But then it also gives night vision to finance because they can see, they get an earlier view into what people are planning on spending um, and, and what they're planning, 
on who they're planning on hiring or how much they're planning to hire. Mm-hmm. That didn't, that kind of vision didn't exist before um, it was locked away in people's heads. Awesome. Well, Amy, yeah. it's been really good having you here on the podcast. I appreciate you sharing um, all you did. I know we jumped around between topics a lot there, but I think that that was a really good conversation. It has me thinking, especially about the acquire win grow, just got the wheels yeah. turning for me again. And even yeah. our, our pre-call, um, how your content should apply to your buyers long after you've solved their problem will be something yeah. I remember for a very long time. So um, okay. I appreciate you sharing all that. All right. Thanks, Sam. Have a good day.